Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're going to talk to one of our guests from the past, Dr. Michael Pasquale. He is a cosmetic, plastic, and reconstructive surgeon with over 35 years of experience, and he has done different fellowships in microsurgery, working on peripheral nerve injuries and chronic pain. And today we're going to talk about something we haven't talked about before, Dr. Pasquale. We're going to be talking about ketamine. So now you've had a lot of experience in surgery and you've done lots of surgeries for patients in office settings, in surgical settings, in operating rooms. Tell me a little bit about what drew you to the idea that you could consider having a ketamine-focused clinic? Well, this is really starting back in 2013. Um, I've been using ketamine as an anesthetic for patients for, gosh, 40 years. Even when I was a resident, we used it all the time. And it's an anesthetic um, first developed in um, the 60s and approved uh, for use in the 70s. For as an anesthetic, and it was used extensively in the Vietnam War, and I can get into later why that's the case. And most plastic surgeons, emergency room doctors, and anesthesiologists are very used to using this drug in its anesthetic capability. Um, what triggered my whole interest in this uh, for the things we treat now uh, at the Ketamine Clinic of Hawaii is um, I was looking for a novel approach for a worker of mine who suffered from severe depression. And this was back in 2014, I guess. And uh, she was getting regular electroconvulsive therapies. And there's some problems with the ECT um, for depression. It, although it worked great for her, there are some memory issues. So I started perusing the literature, just thinking about it, and um, found out that some people had started using ketamine to treat chronic depression. And it was still very experimental back in those days. But the reports were quite good, and I knew the drug, and I knew there wouldn't be much harm if we tried it. And I asked her if she wanted to give it a try, and, and she did. And um, that was, I think, my first case was in 2014 here in Hawaii. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't effective for her. And the reason being was my lack of uh, knowledge or skill how to use it for something other than anesthetic. I push the drug, means that means you inject it rather quickly. Um, and people that aren't used to having that drug, it was kind of scary to her. And unfortunately I found out it was the wrong way to give it. We have to do it very slowly in a special uh, drip and it goes very slow. And so I must say my first case was unsuccessful. After that, more literature came out about different protocols, how to use it, and so I started applying it, and some psychiatrists in town started hearing that I was um, trying this uh, technique, and um, they were sending me patients. So from that point on, and once I got the proper protocols down, um, the results were quite amazing for treating depression. Um, we later, later moved into chronic pain, which is a specialty I know quite a bit about, and PTSD, and recently we've moved into addiction treatment. So when you started this, you mentioned that ketamine was something used in like an ER setting or an operating room setting. 
what would be a circumstance that someone would have used it? Would this be for if someone has a trauma and you need to do some sort of procedure in an emergency room or in an operating room as part of doing a surgery? Yeah, well, the perfect example is pediatrics. You get a child with a laceration of the face, they won't hold still. And commonly we use ketamine on the pediatric patients, at least my specialty, in the ER to hold the patient. The patient's immobilized basically with the drug, and it's easier to do than operation. Which brings me up back, back to Vietnam. It's a very safe drug to be used in the field. And the reason why, unlike narcotics, it doesn't have respiratory depression. In fact, it, it dilates the bronchioles, and the oxygen saturation is very good during that time. That doesn't mean ketamine doesn't have bad effects. It does. It mainly cardiac. It can increase the uh, rhythm of the heart. Uh, you can get an attack of cardia. You can get uh, very high blood pressure, um, which usually isn't a problem with healthy young people, like a pediatric case. But you get somebody a little elderly, you know, in their 50s, or somebody with a cardiac condition, it, that can be a dangerous drug then. So when this would be administered in an emergency room or in an operating room setting, there would be heart monitors, blood pressure monitors. There would be people who would be able to handle whatever the consequence might be of using this medication. Correct. I mean, you have to have full uh, monitoring in um, emergency ICU-type setting that you should use the drug in because there are those untoward circumstances. rare, but they do occur, and you have to be prepared. Now, when you mentioned that you started using this in conjunction with people who were seeing their psychiatrist, and psychiatrists were actually sending you patients. The FDA has approved the use of ketamine for a variety of these indications. In 2019. So what sort of indications, I mean, right now, what are the current indications that, that ketamine is allowed to be used for? Primarily depression. And, and chronic pain, um, I don't think it's approved for addiction yet or approved uh, for PTSD. It, it may be. I haven't seen the, seen that yet. Now, when you talk about giving it, you mentioned your very first patient, you did an IV push, which is something that you would probably have done in an operating room or an Correct. ER setting. Correct. So you said, okay, we're going to do the same thing. And right. it makes sense that that was your experience with it. When we talk about the use of ketamine, there's different ways that it can be used. And there's also now intranasal ketamine. And so that's a different a different type or form of the medication. What do you think the difference is in the different types or mechanisms of delivery of ketamine? Well, I have some strong feelings about that. And um, first, may I take the time to explain how ketamine works? Okay. All right. There are neurochemicals in the brain that ketamine uh, does affect. NBNA receptors, and uh, glutamic receptors, it blocks those which allows other neurochemical things to take place in the brain. Um, and that's the way most antidepressants work. But my thinking, and from what I've observed, is that's not how ketamine affects this broad range of patients. Uh, ketamine rewires the patient by increasing neuroplasticity. There's billions of um, synapses in the brain, and all these conditions have something in common, depression, chronic pain, PTSD, and uh, addictions. The brain sets at a normal level with those conditions and says to itself, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. That's why they keep returning to it, much like the person who's had a uh, amputated uh, knee uh, below the knee 
amputation and their brain still say, oh, I got a foot there, I have foot pain. Well, physi- physically, that's impossible. There isn't a foot there, so they can't really have pain. Where is that pain coming from? It's coming from the brain. And what happens is these uh, synapses basically connect a certain way, and then, and then what happens is ketamine increases something called neuroplasticity. It makes these synaptal connections uh, very plastic, can move around and reconnect in a more healthy manner. Yeah, I, I have to be honest. I was amazed when I read about neuroplasticity. We'll be we'll we'll talk about that again in just a moment. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll be right back in just a few moments, and we're going to continue our discussion and describe what is neuroplasticity and why might this be really helpful in treating people with conditions that respond to ketamine. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. I'm here with Dr. Michael Pasquale, and we're talking about ketamine. And right before the break, you mentioned a term that I remember that when I had heard about this. You know, we, uh, I remember being told in medical school, the brain has a set number of neurons and you don't make new ones. But then the concept of neuroplasticity became very popular, which means you may not increase the number of actual neurons, but you may increase infinitely the number of connections, or you mentioned synapses, between different neurons. And that can essentially rewire things. If you learn a new skill, you have to learn something new. Your brain creates these new connections between different nerves, and that's what we mean when we describe neuroplasticity. You're adding these new connections to different locations in the brain that might not have been there before. So you mentioned that neuroplasticity is part of the, the, what happens with ketamine. Tell me how. Okay, so as I'd mentioned, there are neurochemical things that happen, just like with antidepressants. But the beauty of ketamine is, it, it, to use a simplistic phrase, rewires the brain. So think of it this way. You have neuron A through axon going to neuron B in a synaptic connection, and neuron C goes to neuron D, something like that. Well, there's a biological principle, and if you think about it, it happens all through human biology and really all the biology of life. It's called homeostasis, a steady state. So if if these acts, these nerve connections are set in one way for a long enough period of time, what happens is they, the body recognizes it, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be, just like with a person who had foot pain who had amputation. So there's a tendency for the brain to keep these connections. So if you have depression, PTSD, addiction, or uh, chronic pain, um, and you've had that for like two years, the, the brain tries to keep you in that place. It says, this is normal for me. Ketamine releases the potential for this, what we call neuroplasticity, to allow these neurons to form new connections. And that's how, that's how it works, basically. 
So neuron A that used to connect to neuron B now might now connect to D. To D, correct. Or to C. Yeah. Well, that makes it seem... You, you establish a new normal is what you're doing. Okay. Now, there's different forms of ketamine. So right. there's intravenous, there's slow infusion, there's kind of an IV push infusion. There's also intranasal ketamine, and there's lozenges that have ketamine. So there's different delivery systems. Correct. Which ones tend to be, I guess, depending on what your outcome is that you're desiring, right. which one tends to be the most effective? Well, uh, it's a little bit controversial. I, I have a strong opinion about it. And um, the FDA approved um, the nasal ketamine not too long ago. And of course, it was a big push by the drug companies to have approval. And the reason why is it's very easy to administer. They could, I think ultimately, they want to get it in everyone's hands so they can say, oh, you feel depressed? Here, just do this nasal ketamine. And um, it will make you feel good. There's no question about it. But then again, I can give you heroin and you can feel good too. The difference is through the nasal approach and the lozenger approach, they make lozenges too, um, you don't obtain enough of a blood level to, in, to increase the neuroplasticity. That's my belief. It's somewhat found in the literature and it's, not, it's, a, it's a controversy that hasn't been completely resolved yet. But from what I've seen from my clinical practices, and I've had patients come to me uh, that are given, and there's also an IM injection too, uh, have come into my practice and they said, you know, it really wasn't working for me. I felt good for an hour or two, but I don't feel like I've changed. And after they've done the IV form, they feel that they have changed and it's, it just seems to be a lot better for them. Is the intranasal ketamine or even the IM injection or even the lozenge, we mentioned earlier that there could be some, some cardiac changes, some faster heart rates and some yeah. other situations with blood pressure. Do those other delivery systems also have that same side effect? Well, they can, but it, it's probably not as um, prevalent as with the IV. Uh, and the simple reason is you're not getting a very high dose. And like you're getting a, a microdose compared to what you're getting with the IV. And I think that also decreases the effectiveness. When you're administering your ketamine, is this something that you do repetitively? Like I'm wondering if if this is a type of treatment that requires multiple episodes within a week or two weeks or, or within six weeks, is there like a course of treatment or does it depend on someone's response? Typically it's a course of treatment. Now emergency rooms, um, some of them are using ketamine when patients come in suicidal and they'll give them a dose of ketamine just to get them out of that suicidal rut or whatever it is. In our clinic and most ketamine clinics around the country, um, it's a series of treatments. Now, how often it is can be some clinics do two times a week for four weeks or something like that. Other clinics do every other day. My clinic uh, uses it every day for five days straight. Um, why do I do that? Just simple, people don't have their whole lives keep doing ketamine treatment. And I think that my approach gives it the maximum neuroplasticity. And what sort of responses have you seen? Do you have any patients that you've treated that that you can recall had a dramatic response? Yeah, certainly can. Um, we do something called the uh, Ashberg-Montgomery Depression Scale. And it's a 50-point scale, basically, that 
uh, rates depression. It's somewhat subjective, but it's also done uh, by observation of the clinician. And what we find is um, they'll come in, some people come in with 35, 40, which the higher end is where your most depression is. And we'll get them, to, by the time they finish six treatments, many times we'll get them down to six, seven, four, almost normal. Um, I would say more often than not, we'll see that. Occasionally, we'll see a case that doesn't get any result. And um, I'll give you an example. Uh, UH sent me a, a case um, not too long ago. And um, they said, oh, you know, we can't, they were doing a study with ketamine and their protocol wouldn't allow them to go to a high enough dose. So the doctor over there said, oh, you know, he's a psychiatrist. He said, I'm going to send you this patient because I know you're in private practice and you have a lot more liberty. We're restrained by our study. So I, the patient came over and uh, I tried uh, the first day. And I, when you see this over and over again, you have a lot of experience with it, you can kind of tell the patients aren't reacting correctly. And um, she started chirping like a bird. It was hmm. very strange. So I said, okay, we'll try one more day. Tried one more day, same thing happened. So I sent her back over there, back to UH, and said, this isn't right. Some, this is not right. They reevaluated, and they found out she was psychotic and not depressed. So, so certain think, conditions won't respond right, really at all. Psychosis, super anxiety will not respond. Mainly depression, especially the chronic depression. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Michael Pasquale about some of the experience he's seen with ketamine and what sort of response and how long it's lasted. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I'm here with Dr. Michael Pasquale, and he has developed a unique protocol that he's using for ketamine here in the islands that might be a little different than the intranasal ketamine that some people may have heard about that was FDA-approved for the treatment of moderate to severe depression. And right before the break, you mentioned that there are some super successes, and then there are some people for whom they don't have the right indication, whether it be that they have a different medical condition, in this case, psychosis for the individual that you described, or they just don't respond well to the treatment. Now, I'm curious, you mentioned earlier that you had a patient who kind of went from a very high depression score to a very low score Correct. using that particular 50-point metric. How long might somebody respond? I mean, I think one of the questions that, that I always have is, you know, when we talk about just using antidepressants as pills, one of the biggest risks for having a recurrence is if somebody stops the medication too soon. So we often try and counsel patients, if you're going to start an antidepressant, this is not something you're going to take for a week or two and then stop and then have this cycle come back every few weeks or every few months. But when you talk about doing the ketamine infusions, you mentioned that you'll do it every day for five days. How long might that keep somebody from having that depression flare up again? Is this something you see every few months or every year, or could this be treatment for life? Well, you know, that's actually a question I get from every single patient. Okay, and, well, now I feel it, like it, I'm asking the right questions it, then. You okay. are. Here's my answer. 
We've had patients, um, addiction, PTSD, all the conditions we treat, that have been to our clinic, got the treatments, and I never hear from them again, or when I follow up with the phone calls, we, we actually keep our data. Um, they say, no, I'm doing great. Um, I've been off alcohol for a year now, or I've been, I have been felt depressed. But then there's others, and I can't give you an exact number at this point, that have sort of a relapse. And what I tell them, I said, you'll know. You'll know if it's time to come back in for another treatment. Usually at that point, it's not another five treatments or something like that. It may just be one treatment. And we call it a touch-up treatment. And they know. And I, it's hard to predict. Each individual responds differently. Now, you mentioned that there are some psychiatrists in the community who are sending you patients because they feel as though this is a treatment that their patient may respond to. When patients go through the course of treatment, is there, do they continue to see their psychiatrist? Do they continue to have needs to discuss some of the issues that brought them to you? Or what, what sort of follow-up do they do with their, with their referring well, that, doctors? That's, that's an interesting question. Um, a lot, most of them do. They still stay in therapy uh, for the depression patients or, you know, drug counseling or whatever, um, or go to their AAA meetings. Um, and that, that's something I think is healthy and good for them to do. Um, there is a push, I noticed, to have therapy, psychotherapy during the ketamine session, which to me is just strange because a lot of people most of the patients I treat anyway, kind of want to be left alone to have the ketamine experience without someone, you know, talking in their ear and making them think about other things. So there's, there's some division between myself and some of the other therapists uh, who, who do ketamine therapy on that. Are the patients in a state of being alert or are they sleeping or what sort of, when you give someone this, this slow infusion of ketamine, are they conscious? They're breathing for themselves because they don't need to be be put under anesthesia. But what, what experience are they having? Okay. Well, first we have everybody on a monitoring, and I ha- always have one of my nurses, licensed nurses, in the room, if not myself. Um, that's for obvious reasons. If their blood pressure spikes, we need to treat it. If um, their heart has an arrhythmia, which is rare, very very rare, but it does occur. So they're um, on a heart monitor. They yeah, might have a blood pressure cuff might, on. Yes. Okay. Um, and, well, basically, um, I kind of forgot the question. <laughs> the experience for them. They have a monitor. Oh, okay, okay, they, yes, have yes, a, yeah, they have a that. cuff. Okay, so. They're asleep. They're uh, yeah, awake. No, they're arousable. They're definitely not asleep. Okay. Um, usually they're listening to music. We like to encourage them to think very positive thoughts. Now, the way ketamine works is a disassociative anesthetic. It will make them feel um, a little bit, not out of body experience, but like they're not right fully in, in the space of the room. So I tell them, my nurses are very versed in this protocol, um, you know, you'll hear our voice, you'll see where you're connected to us, but their mind usually drifts off into hopefully a pleasant space. Um, and like I said, some people like music, uh, some people uh, just like to have nice visions of things, like, uh, um, they, like they like the ocean, think about the ocean. And so then they have this infusion, and when you when you stop the infusion, how long does it take for them to become able to get up, walk around, and be back in their space? Well, nobody can drive themselves home. They can take an Uber, 
we usually recover in about 35 to 40 minutes. And that whole process of the infusion and the recovery, how long does that take? Hour and a half. About an hour and a half. When you think well, about... Uh, that, that, let, me, let me preface that by saying uh, for alcohol addiction or drug addiction and um, depression or PTSD, it's an hour and a half. For chronic pain, which is a whole different ballgame, it's usually a three to four hour infusion. So it kind of tails right into what I was going to was going to ask you is we we know that this is a treatment option that has been used for, uh, you know, you said mentioned in the 70s it was approved and it was used in the 80s. So it has a long history of use in a variety of different ways, predominantly originally as as sort of a anesthetic or or medication in emergency room setting and in operating room settings. Now it's being used more in offices with the conjunction of a psychiatrist and or treating someone for mental health issues. When you think about the next five, 10 years, do you see that there's going to be an increasing role for treatments like this? And if so, in what medical areas? Well, I think primarily um, in psychiatry. Um, the reason is that there's a lot of exploration in science now with the psychedelics, uh, mushrooms, microdosing, that type of thing. Um, and you know well, how that's going to turn out, I, I don't know. The most clinically and scientifically studied one is ketamine. And it's always been allowed to be studied. I think some of the other psychedelics, psychedelics that are out there didn't have the approval to even be studied. So you're right. There's sort of a movement right now to look at some of these different types of treatments that we've never allowed to have research done on and to see how people respond to these novel therapies that I say novel. On the other hand, they've kind of been around for a long time. We're just now starting to do research on them. So you mentioned the most studies are out there using ketamine. And there's there's the FDA indication for depression, and you've said that it can be used for other conditions. You mentioned PTSD and other types of uh, substance abuse issues. But you mentioned also chronic pain, which is kind of a whole different situation. Has it been used in the chronic pain community for a long time? No. It's it's a fairly new indication. It's And this really gets back to when I was a peripheral nerve surgeon. We would operate on patients who had nerve injuries scarred nerves, they were in severe pain. We would go in operatively under a microscope and release the scar, the nerve looked perfect. In fact, we do intraoperative EMGs, electrical testing. And 60% of those cases, after they were shown physically to have a good nerve, would still be in pain afterwards. And what does that mean? That means the pain was in the brain. So I, I, I had a, a university professor who had severe cancer pain in the face after uh, some kind of cancer sinus surgery that had trigeminal neuralgia. And he'd been suffering, been through narcotics. Nothing was working him anymore. He came in for six treatments and he was just good to go after that. He said, nothing's relieved my pain except for this. Same thing with other chronic pain patients. Even some um, my, really bad well, we, we call it CRPS now, but it used to be called uh, reflex sympathetic dystrophy. So these would be people who have known issues with pain right. specifically to nerves. So this is a whole other area where ketamine may have a significant impact on right. the livelihood of these people who are experiencing these serious issues. Now, you mentioned that people will often be referred to you from psychiatrists. So is that the mechanism that you will most likely receive referrals on? 
Yeah, well, I'm not a psychiatrist. I, I get everybody psychiatrically cleared. That means their mental health care pro- professional will assure me that's the right diagnosis. Then I'll treat them. And so that would be the mechanism is that somebody yeah. who would either come to you would go to the ketamine clinic. They would need to have that additional yeah. follow-up I'll to make sure out. it's appropriate. If con- a lot of people contact us directly. I'll send them to somebody to get clearance. Well, I have to tell you, I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. It's a whole different type of treatment that we really haven't had a lot of information on The Body Show about. So thanks for sharing all that you know and for all that you do. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You are listening to Dr. Michael Pasquale of the Ketamine Clinic of Hawaii. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. See you then. Woo!